If you're just getting caught up with us, we are in this series of messages called Jesus Stories, and we're wrapping that up today because, can you believe next week is Easter? This is awesome. This is pretty incredible. So I'm excited about that. Uh, We're wrapping up this series of messages because it is Palm Sunday. We are entering into this week uh, in the church calendar, well, in our lives that we call Holy Week because it's the final week of Jesus's life. And for many, unfortunately, a lot of the people that you are going to encounter this week as you go out into your lives, into your workplaces, into your families, whatever that may be, for a lot of people, this is just another week. It's just another week to be stressed out. It's just another week to survive, to get through, to everybody's working for the weekend, right? But we know it's something much more, right? Here's why this week matters. Here's why Palm Sunday matters. Here's why Holy Week matters. Because without Holy Week, we, we got nothing, right? This is the linchpin of Christianity, right? If Jesus did not come and live and die and rise again, we got no hope, which means we have no Lutheran Church of Hope, right? <laughs> so we, we don't exist if, if, it doesn't, uh, if we don't have Holy Week. And so as we've been going through this series I truly pray that you have been reading along. I know that I say that all the time, but the day that I stop as your pastor, the day that I stop telling you to read your Bible will probably be the day that I shouldn't be your pastor, right? That's, that's my calling is to point you towards him. And especially this week, I would challenge you. I would strongly encourage you, read the stories of Jesus's last days on this earth. Read, read the stories of, of his passion, uh, if, and if you, if you have a chance, I would strongly encourage you to take in the Monday, Thursday, the Good Friday services at our West Des Moines campus. You don't want to just blow through those days and say, well, you know, I, I don't have time, I'm too busy, I got other social obligations. What would be more important than remembering the one who gave you life? The one, the one who gives you life, okay? So I just encourage you to make that a priority this week. And, and, and my prayer is that as you've been going through these stories, that you've been falling in love with the person of Jesus, that you know him in deeper and deeper ways, not just information about him, but you're learning, you're learning the character of Jesus and, and, and who he is, and you're growing in your relationship with him. So today's kind of a unique day, and for some of you that maybe didn't grow up in the church, I know for quite a few of you, some of you, depending on your church background, you may have different levels of expertise on what exactly is Palm Sunday all about. Well, it turns out that you are not alone. So there's some, uh, some people that went out, and I think this is actually in, in Rochester, Minnesota. Anybody ever been to Rochester, Minnesota? Yeah, randomly. Uh, I guess that's where they're from. But they went out in, in, a, in a city much like ours with people much like us that some know about Palm Sunday and some don't. And they took to the streets to ask people, what is Palm Sunday all about? So as you're watching this video, I would encourage you, if some man on the street film crew came up to you right now here this morning on your way to worship, and they said, what's Palm Sunday all about? What's the significance of Palm Sunday? Don't say, just... Ask yourself, what would you say? All right? And feel free as the video is going along at Here at Hope, we take God very seriously. We don't take ourselves too seriously. I'm giving you permission to laugh, like a really good laugh. Okay? Okay. Let's take a look. There you go. Nothing says Palm Sunday like that, right? (laughs) Who is that guy? (laughs) Just, I watched that like five times before I showed it to you this morning, and I'm still cracking up at it. When's the last time you had a really good laugh? I'm just wondering. Last week? week? (laughs) Well, I hope you have one this week. Here's the thing. I want this place to be where you laugh the most. Amen? Amen. 
Like, if you can't have a really good belly laugh at, at church, I don't know where you can. So uh, let's just try that. Let's just really laugh really hard. Okay, ready? One, two, three. See, it's almost more funny to listen to yourself try to laugh. That was lame Let's try it again. One, two, three. <laughs> I don't believe you. Okay, we're moving on. Uh, but anyway, we're watching that, and I just wonder, what would you have said? Just think about it to yourself. You don't need to say it out loud. What would you have said? What, what is Paul, is it, is it just a, does it have any significance to you, like the one lady said? What, what's it all about? What, what does that look like for you? We're going to discover that today, but as we're going through this, I really want to hone in on the fact that Palm Sunday is for you. Sometimes a lot of, with these church traditions, we just think to ourselves, oh, that's just something in the church here, and it's kind of for everybody. Palm Sunday is for you. I want you to think about that. If you don't have your Bibles open, turn to Mark chapter 11, and that's where we're going to be today. Mark chapter 11, and uh, when we first arrive on the scene, Jesus is a rock star. I mean, he's a legitimate rock star. The crowds are gathering around him. Uh, if you healed somebody that was blind by mud and spit, and if you uh, raised somebody from the dead in the last week, do you think you'd have a following? Yeah, yeah exactly. So the buzz is gathering around Jesus. He's got like millions of Twitter followers by this time. So he's really growing uh, in, in popularity. And when we arrive on the scene, Jesus has just declared to his disciples, go get a donkey, not a camel. You knew that, right? Go get a donkey because I'm going to make my entrance. Jesus says, it's time. It's time. The city of Jerusalem is already busy. It's already being flooded by Jews for the celebration of Passover. You know, Passover is the celebration of their exodus from Egypt, right? And Pharaoh. So they celebrate that every year and everybody returns home and they celebrate that together. And a part of Passover, here's a fun little side note for you. A part of Passover is that everybody needs to get a perfect lamb to sacrifice, to appease God, right? To make a, a holy and righteous sacrifice before God. So everybody's running around the town looking for the perfect sacrificial lamb, at the beginning of the Gospels, John the Baptist says, when he sees Jesus coming over the hill, what does he say? Behold the Lamb of God. Interesting. Everybody's running around on Palm Sunday looking for the perfect lamb when he's right in front of them. But they miss it. So we continue. And so as he enters the city, the scene starts to look like, you ever seen like a, a, a parade for the winning World Series team or the Super Bowl team? And there's, uh, it's a ticker tape parade and there's confetti all over, you know, think like Times Square on New Year's Eve, right? Just with thousands of people lining the streets. And instead of flags and confetti and, and, a, and a World Series trophy, people start ripping off palm branches just like we have this morning, people start ripping off palm branches from the trees and they start laying them down, like the Academy Awards, right? We roll out the red carpet when there's somebody famous or popular coming. They roll out the red carpet by laying down their cloaks and laying down these palm branches all the way because this is royalty. And they, 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 they make this makeshift royal carpet and they start shouting, we read, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So instead of just talking about it, we got to imagine ourselves, we got to put ourselves in that 
moment. So I want you to do is grab your palm and stand up this morning. We're going to do this together. It's Palm Sunday. We can't just talk about it. Grab your palm, stand on up, and I'm going to split you right down the middle so you can choose. I'm splitting up families here, right down the middle. So you can choose which side you're on. This is group one. This is the Hosanna side, okay? And this is the blessed is the king side, okay? So we got the Hosanna side. We got the blessed is the king. So when I point to you, I want you to wave that palm branch like Jesus is coming down your aisle, okay? I want to hear you. We'll have a little friendly little competition here, all right? It's Palm Sunday. Let me hear you. Ready? One, two, three. together. Hosanna on three. One, two, three. All right. Sit back down. Nice job. Nice job. Good stuff. Got to get the blood flowing this morning. It's almost like we were there. It's almost like we were there. Put yourself in the crowd that day. What would it have been like? And as you're shouting that, you may have not, you may not know what you just shouted. The literal meaning of Hosanna among a few others is save us. And the only reason that you would yell that or sing that, maybe, as the crowds were that day, is if there's something that you needed saving from. It wasn't just a a raucous party for no good reason. We were saying, save us for a reason, which is exactly what the Jews were hoping for that day. It's what they've been longing for for hundreds of years. And and (laughs) you have to put yourself there to experience the longing. You ever waited for something for a long time? Maybe to start a family, maybe to find that significant other, maybe for healing, maybe for a relationship to be restored. What's the longest you've waited for something that you, that you truly long for? Take that times 100. <laughs> and that's the Jews longing for a savior, longing for the Messiah to come. This was supposed to be their king. That's why the royal treatment This was supposed to be the king of the Jews, a king who would come and restore the nation of Israel back to prominence and power like the glory days of King David. A great, he would be a great military leader who would come with with power and might to overtake the Romans and kick them out and restore the Jewish nation. They They would have the land back to themselves. And so the cry was, Hosanna, save us, King Jesus. But you would imagine if a king was coming to town and he was going to kick out the great military power of the day, the Roman army, that he would probably be mounted on a stallion or being, uh, be brought in in a, in a, in a horse-drawn carriage, right? With mounted horses and, a, and his armies surrounding him. And all this guy can find is a donkey? Like I imagine him riding and his feet probably touch the ground, Right? All he, donkeys aren't very high. They're not very powerful. They're not very intimidating. But this should not have surprised the crowd that day, especially those Jews who knew their Bible, especially those Jews who knew their Old Testament. They knew, they should have known what the king would be like when he came. There was over 300 prophecies about the Messiah, the coming of Jesus in the Old Testament. And one of those in particular is from the book of Zechariah. When's the last time you read the book of Zechariah? It's a good book. I would encourage you to read it. We're going to read one verse together up on the screen. It's from Zechariah 9, 9, which leads us up to Palm Sunday. Let's read this together. 
Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Can you imagine? Thousands of years before Palm Sunday, the prophets were speaking about this day. So if they knew their scriptures, they knew this was it. No more waiting. No more longing. This is the king. And they got that. They would not have been worshiping and giving him the royal treatment. But here's what they missed. Here's what they missed. With all due respect to their national pride, with all due respect to kings and kingdoms, with all due respect to leaders and presidents and powers that exist in our world today, Jesus was making it clear, not only on Palm Sunday, but for the rest of Holy Week, Jesus was making it clear by everything he said and a lot of times by what he didn't say. Jesus was making it clear by what he did and what he didn't do. Jesus was making it clear about how he didn't fight his sentence of death, though he was an innocent man, how he didn't call angels down from heaven to wipe out his mockers while he was hanging on the cross. All the times that Jesus could have called in the armies, the angels of heaven, to crush his enemies, all the arguments that he could have made, he didn't do it, did he? He didn't do it. He didn't do it because of his compassion and his love for you. I told you that Palm Sunday <clears throat> was for you, right? It's not just a religious holiday, it's for you. While he was on trial, with a face bloodied and a back torn up later this week, after he's arrested, he looks Pilate, the supreme ruler and commander of the earth, earthly powers in those days and he looked right at him and he said my kingdom is not of this world and thank God that it's not there's a much bigger kingdom that Jesus is talking about Jesus says if my kingdom was of this world you would know if it was Jesus said I would be fighting you and you would be losing You would be losing. If it was all about building wealth and power on this earth, Jesus says, you would know. I could make that happen with the snap of my fingers. You, you would know. <laughs> In fact, I'm the king of kings and I'm the Lord of lords, which means my primary reason for coming, my primary mission to all of you, to Israel, is not your agenda of saving you from the Romans. That's not my primary agenda my mission is to save you for something much worse than Roman oppression. It's the sin and the death that you will never be able to defeat on your own. Amen. And I don't care how smart you are, how powerful you are, what your position is, what your titles are, how much money is in your bank account, anything. Those are two things you will never be able to defeat on your own. And Jesus knew that, which means for the crowd that day, maybe write this down. This might be the theme of our day. The Savior that they needed was not the Savior that they wanted. The Savior that they needed was not the Savior that they wanted. Because in just five short days, that same crowd that just did what we did, right? They yelled, Hosanna, save us, King Jesus. You're the King. We worship you. We got our palm branches. You're royalty. That same crowd, five days, five days later, was yelling, 
Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Put yourself in the crowd. Would you have made the switch? Would you have turned? What happened? In just five short days, what happened? They jumped ship. When they discovered that Jesus' agenda was not in line with their agenda, when Jesus no longer served their purposes, they turned on him. When he didn't fulfill what they wanted. And I wonder, if we're honest, if we do the same thing. We know all about these kinds of people, right? In our modern day times, people that when things aren't going well, when they don't get their way, when, when, when things aren't popular about whatever they're following, ever heard of these people? Bandwagon fans. Ever heard of them? Band, everybody say bandwagon. bandwagon. You know what I mean? This happens all the time in sports. I mean, let's just dream for a second. Let's just dream for a second. It's the start of a new baseball season. Any Cubs fans out there? That's faith. So this is going to be a great illustration. There's two of us in the entire room, okay? This is the year, right? This is the year, right? So this is a great illustration. Not a lot of Cubs fans. Why? They stink. Let's just be honest, right? Let's imagine that this year, 2014 season, the Cubs start winning every single game, right? They go undefeated, right? This has never happened before in the history of Major League Baseball, right? Do you think there's going to be a few fans... That want, that want to be fans of the Cubs, right? Do you think they're going to have quite the following, right? How many people are going to follow the Cubs? Everybody, right? Well, don't lie, you're in church, people, right? You would be Cubs fans. I know that you would be. Remember the year when Drake was winning, Drake basketball team went to the NCAA tournament? How many Drake fans were there in the state? Everybody. How many Drake basketball fans here today, right? It changes, right? It's the hype. It's the ebb and flow of the crowd, whole bunch of Cubs fans all of a sudden, and, and, and those of us that have been real Cubs fans our whole life and grew up watching them, we would say, oh, you're just a bandwagon fan, right? And what, when they're saying that, what they mean is, are you sure? Are you a real fan? I mean, is your heart really in it? Where were you the last 100 years when they've stunk? Right? That's what you would want to know. And so it is with our celebrity of the hour. Jesus knew when you really love someone, when you really love a group of people, you're interested in not just what they want, but what they need. You're interested in not just what they think they want, but what's best for them, even if they can't see it at the time. In fact, I can say that I am living proof that this is true in our own lives. You see... I haven't always been married. I know. That may come as a shock to some of you. I, I haven't always had the lovely, amazing, beautiful, refining woman of God named Tiffany in my life. There was a period in John's life called bachelorhood. I've nicknamed it the Dark Ages. Guys, do you remember this season of your life? Maybe some of you are there right now. There's many things that we can say about the, the season of bachelorhood, but I believe above all else we can say it is a time in our lives, gentlemen, when we thought that we were the deal. When we thought we were pretty big stuff, that we had it all figured out, that we knew what was best for us, but man, were we wrong. Amen? Amen. Then this 
beautiful lady comes strolling over the hill and we're done for. You see, people try to warn you about the first few years of marriage, but did I listen? No. So what happens? So Tiffany comes, we're, you know, we're several months into our marriage here. Tiffany comes home from the grocery store and I'm expecting frozen pizzas, hot pockets, and Cheetos. You know, the bachelor diet, right? And instead, she brings home fruits, vegetables, lean pockets. What are those, right? All this healthy stuff. And I'm like, what? Ugh. No more junk food. So I'm a little frustrated because we get frustrated when we don't get what we want. And then we're talking through our, you know, a few months later, we're talking through our schedules and she announces, I'm going to go to the gym today. And you're coming with. Oh, I am. Yes, she says, we have a membership there now. We go three times a week. That's what we do. <laughs> okay. No more laziness. A few months later, we're getting ready for bed. And of course, you would think that the pastor would have a great nighttime routine of praying with his wife every single night, right? Not so much. So what does she do every single night before bed? Okay, honey, you can lead the prayers tonight. Thanks for praying for us. Ugh. Even though every ounce of me just wants to go to bed, right? Ugh. Gentlemen, have you ever experienced that feeling when deep down inside you totally know that the other person is right, that it, you totally know it's what's best for you, but with every ounce of your being, you just can't bring yourself to admit it? Amen. Have you experienced that? Some of you are like, every day, brother. <laughs> Welcome to my first few years of marriage. Don't get me wrong. It is great. We have an amazing marriage. But after a year of this, there was one night, I remember distinctly, one night of desperation after she'd made me exercise, she made me eat a healthy dinner, she made me pray. <sighs> Even when I don't feel like it, I just stood up and with my last gasp of bachelorhood selfishness clinging to any ounce of pride that I have left, I stood up and I looked right at her and I said, Honey, you are ruining my life. For the better. <laughs> I had assumed that the purpose of marriage was to make you happy all the time. I had assumed that the point of marriage was for her to just get me whatever I wanted, because that's what bachelorhood is about, right? I had assumed that the point of marriage was to have a partner that would always agree with you and never challenge you on anything. And then I realized I married up. Amen? I married up. Because here's the deal. I married someone who loved me enough to offer what I needed, not always what I wanted. Amen. And I wonder, could the same be true of our Savior on Palm Sunday? The crowds assumed they knew what Jesus' agenda, what his mission was in their life. To kick out the Romans, to make them healthy and wealthy and powerful again, to be their savior, but certainly not their Lord. Jesus, save us! But when it comes to telling me how you're going to run my life, no thank you, Jesus. You can just keep your distance, right? Don't tell me what I'm doing. Don't tell me to exercise. Don't tell me to eat right, right? Jesus, just 
keep your distance. And just like my first year of marriage, we say, Jesus, you know, it's so much easier for me to just think about what's convenient for me. That's where I'll find the joy in life. And Jesus says, no, actually, it's when you give your life away in service to others, that's where you'll find life. We say, you know, Jesus, I know that I'm having some marriage problems, but really, what do you know about relationships? We'll just figure it out ourselves. And Jesus says, for a start, why don't you get on your knees and pray together and ask that, and just admit that you need help. That would be a start. And we go, we say, you know, Jesus, I, I, I think I've got my priorities in line. I, I'll take care of scheduling my calendar. I, I think I know what my priorities should be. And Jesus says, what would it look like if your time with me, your heavenly father, and week, weekend worship, what if those things were in your calendar every single week and all your other priorities were scheduled around them? Ugh. It's what we want Jesus gives us what we need. We say, oh man, Jesus, to give you my calendar, to give you my social life, to give you my priorities, that would be tough. And Jesus says, I never promised that it would be tough. I, I can promise you that you'll be satisfied in your soul. So when Jesus isn't the genie in the bottle that we want him to be, when he starts refining us, and we have a word for that around here, it's called discipleship. Amen. When Jesus starts poking and prodding and refining us. It's so tempting to stand up and say, Jesus, Jesus, you are ruining my life for the better. Not just for the better, but for the best. Jesus puts it to his disciples earlier in the Gospels. This is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, whoever wants to pretend they're still a bachelor when they're not, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. In other words, God says, when you place your faith in me and you start to follow me, it might feel like I'm ruining your life because my promise to you was to put to death the old, sinful, fleshly self, and I'm going to make you into a brand new person that looks more and more like my son. Jesus says, I am going to mess with you. I am going to mess with your life, not just for the better, but for the best. Because believe it or not, Jesus' primary reason for coming to this earth wasn't to make you comfortable. Read the story of Holy Week. Do you think that Jesus' followers felt comfortable? Or rich? Or happy? He came to set you free from all the places that we go that will never satisfy. From all the other empty wells that we run to. And that includes good things. Things like TV shows and internet gossip and Exhausting your kids, shuttling them from activity to activity. Even hobbies that have become obsessions instead of your heavenly father as your number one obsession. Instead, he points us to himself and he says, you want to find life? You come to me. To what we need, not just what we want. 
Jesus asked in Matthew 16, will you follow? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Will you give up control? Or are you just going to jump off the bandwagon too? Now, Jesus wasn't really who I thought he was. Sometimes I wonder what it would have been like if Jesus would have come in our day. What would it have been like if Jesus would have walked off the streets of Des Moines? He's just walking around, like on your way to worship this morning, just walking down 42nd Street. Would you have responded? Would you be a fan? Or would you be a follower? Would you be a fan or would you be a follower? And how do we know which way we're leaning? I want to just end with a few comparisons for you this morning. First, when it comes to worship, are you a fan or are you a follower? Fans worship when things are good, right? The crowds on Palm Sunday. Fans worship when things are good. Followers worship no matter what. Why? Because followers know that their worship is not based on their goodness, it's based on God's goodness. Because, unfortunately, at times, I hear people say, Oh, John, you know, it's been a really crazy week. I've been super stressed at work all week. You know, I'm probably just going to skip out on worship this weekend. Uh, I think what I need most is to be alone. What if what you needed most was to experience Jesus Christ and find real rest? Oh, John, if you only knew what my week was like. If you, if you only knew what's going on in my family, the arguing, the, the tension in my marriage. Church is the last place that I should be. Actually, it's the first place you should be. Probably the best, because here you're loved. And here you're forgiven. Oh, John, you probably haven't seen me around a lot recently, I hear. I, I know, I've I just been feeling pretty disconnected from God, just feeling pretty dry. I'm excited to tell you this morning that he's never left. If you're feeling disconnected from God, he's, never, he's been here the whole time. And he's just been waiting for you. Fans worship when it's convenient followers just worship and I saw this the other night I know many of you were at our in his presence worship night down at our new building it was awesome and you know what the best thing about you know what the most incredible thing was about I saw a lot of you there and you were worshiping and you were all in and I know what's going on in your lives how can you worship when you have cancer How can you worship when there's tension in your marriage? How can you worship when your kids are disasters, right? How can you worship when you're stressed out about work? Where else would you rather be than in God's presence? And that leads us right into the second comparison. Fans are about the gifts. Followers are about the giver. Fans of Jesus ask, what's in it for me? Followers say, me is no longer what's most important. He is most important. And finally, here's the obvious one. (laughs) Fans are in the bleachers. Followers are in the game. Fans are in the bleachers. Followers are in the game. Where are you today? 
Where are you when it comes to your faith? You see, a lot can happen between Sunday and Friday for the crowd around Jesus. And for some of us today, if you're honest, (laughs) you're saying, I want to be a follower. I I want to follow Jesus, but John, you have no idea what I have to go back out to when I leave those doors today. You don't know what my Monday through Friday is going to be like. It's really hard to follow. It feels like I just survived another week. I want you to look at this last picture up here. Go ahead. This is the, uh, a modern day picture, but it is the route that Jesus took on Palm Sunday down into the city of Jerusalem. And I want you to notice the descent that it was for Jesus. The, the heights from which he came down into the city knowing what he would be facing. I wonder if this route is about more than just a king returning as a hero. It's about your king literally going down into the valleys of life with you. To meet his people right where they are and not as they should be. And each day he does the same for you. Each Monday when you feel a lack of purpose and you don't want to get up. Each Tuesday night when you need the courage to pursue your spouse. On Wednesday morning when your character is tested. On Thursday when the kids have stressed you out beyond belief. On Friday night when you are lonely again. Jesus says, if I went down into the valley to give my life for you, don't you think that you can trust me with yours? That's Palm Sunday. Here's why Palm Sunday matters. Because we got the king that we needed. And so as you prepare, yeah, amen. As you prepare your hearts for Holy Week, for Easter this week, may you be able to say in a brand new way, I'm not just a fan, I'm a follower. And that's not just any king, that's my king.